0: Welcome to EU Code Week podcasts. We bring coding, computational thinking, robotics, and innovation closer to you, your community, and your school.
1: Hello, everyone. We are Diana Blašić from Croatia and Eugenia Casario from Spain.
0: We are your hosts today, as with uh, many other Code Week episodes. But before we get started, here's a quick introduction from our part, just to get to know us a little bit, Arianna,
1: I'm a teacher trainer, and you, Eugenia?
0: I'm an education expert. And of course, we are both part
1: of the EU Code Week team, and we are passionate about digital technologies, teaching and education. With this series of podcasts, we'd like to contribute to changing the education in Europe and adapting it to the challenges of our time.
0: Today, we're going to talk about game design and gamification, two very uh, interesting topics that are popping up lately and I'm sure our listeners have a strong interest in. So game design is all about uh, designing games, incorporating aesthetics into the development of a game. And it's about letting your creative gaming ideas become reality and about creating game scenes and characters, at least as far as I understood.
1: Exactly. That's why we want to speak about game design and gamification with our guest, Olli Bray from Scotland. Olli is a strategic director at Education Scotland. He is an experienced school leader and project manager committed to enhancing learning experiences for children and young people through engaging and playful approaches to teaching and learning.
2: Welcome, Olly. Thank you. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Thank you for joining us today. It's really a pleasure to have another expert join us, especially in this very interesting topic. So my first question for you is so today we want to talk about game design and about gamification. I'm sure many of our listeners, as I am as well, um, you as well, Arianna, are wondering then, can you tell us a bit more the difference between these two and what exactly each term
2: means? Yeah, so <clears throat> when, I, when I think about computer games in the classroom, I really, I suppose, think about things in four categories, and you've mentioned two of them there. I think a little bit about how we can use computer games in the classroom. I think a little bit about learning games, so games that have been specifically made for learning. I think a little bit about what can we learn from games And that comes back to gamification and things that you've already talked about there. And then I think a little bit about games design and how can we encourage children and young people to to, to make games. And I also sometimes add a, a fifth category, and I think that's important for the listeners to this podcast, which is about why is it important to teach about games? And that's the whole internet safety and responsible use agenda. So I'm really happy to kind of unpick a little bit of some of those categories, if that would be, be useful.
0: Absolutely. I think our listeners would really like to understand a bit the difference between those categories and how would you define them.
2: Maybe I'll start off then with the, the one that I think is the, the most powerful in classrooms, but also is the one that is the, the most underused, and that is how can we use games in the classroom. When I talk about using games in the classroom, what I'm really talking about there is what you would call a, a commercial off-the-shelf game, or a COTS game it's sometimes referred to. Why I think games like this are important is that there are many, many education games that actually children just tolerate because it's different from doing their normal work that actually provide rich educational experiences. Yet there are a number of commercial games that if you combine that with good learning and teaching, they can become a really, really good method for things like project-based learning. And because it's 2021, even though we weren't expecting this to happen in 2021, an obvious example to pick would be Mario and Sonic at the Tokyo Olympics. If you go to any teachers across the world in Europe, I can guarantee in many primary classrooms at about this time of year in the build up to the Olympic Games, there are thousands and thousands of teachers that are doing work on the Olympic Games. Now, what you can do, of course, is that you could you can twist that around slightly and you can say, well, actually, let's do a project on Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games and use that as a contextual hub for learning so that children do work around the computer game, which is linked to the Olympics. And during my career, you know, I spent a lot of time using these commercial off-the-shelf games to create rich experiences for both primary school children and often as a transition activity that takes children between primary school and secondary school. So that's one example which I think is underused, but has got a huge amount of potential, you know, in, in the classroom because it's, it's contextually relevant. The other one would be around, like, learning games. So these are games that have been specifically made for learning. I think we need to be a little bit careful of this because, again, if I go on to the app's and I type in learning games, I'll be given thousands and thousands of titles. There's no mechanism of really kind of seeing whether they're any good or not, or they, or they do actually make these kind of learning games for children or young people. There's a little bit in there about trying to take these games and actually work out what they do and if they are actually making significant games. I do think that for mathematics in particular... There are a number of sort of learning games that can be used there, which are which have been peer reviewed and, and, and they starting to show, um, you know, signs of showing kind of cognitive ability. The third category is then, you know, what can we learn from games? This is where I'm talking about, um, you know, gamification. So this idea of taking some of the concepts of game mechanics and applying that into your classroom. Now, some of this to some people may appear tokenistic. And it has got to be done the right way, but I do think there's a lot of techniques that are built into games which can be incredibly motivational, you know, to children. Albeit sometimes there's short-term motivation, um, and it needs to be used as the hook to actually get to a long-term motivation. And things like this might include, you know, putting the children into clans rather than groups. This concept of of leveling up as you kind of progress through your learning, awarding with with point or badges. These are all kind of techniques can be used to sort of navigate things, and and the concept of leaderboards and, and other things as well. All of these things need to be done for good pedagogical reasons and for motivational reasons, and not just because it seems to be a nice thing to do, otherwise they can potentially be quite damaging to learning or slow the learning down. The next one then is around designing games. If we think about how young people behave online these days, a lot of it is around kind of consuming information. And really, as we kind of move forward into the digital economies, then we also want young people to be kind of creators of content, as well as kind of the consumers of content. And if we take coding, which is that actually coding is a really, really hard thing to do, <laughs> um, and I think a lot of people, you know, you know, particularly sometimes people in governments think, well, all kids should be able to code. Well, actually, you know, learning to code properly is actually pretty tricky. You know, that there needs to be um, incentives and it needs to be well structured to get children to engage in coding activities. Things like game design can be highly motivating to get kids to start to learn the basic principles of, of coding, but also to be able to create their own projects around their own games that they create. It's also, I think, Highly important for cross-curricular or interdisciplinary learning activities. Like sometimes we think about games design as just being a coding thing. Yet if we think about any good game, it's got good characters, it's got good story, it's got good aesthetics that come into it. There's the marketing of the game, there's the packaging of the game, there's the user testing of the game. There's all of these things that takes it beyond a basic coding activity into a really, really powerful interdisciplinary project. My final category that I mentioned to you was around why is it important to teach about games? And for me, this is just about um, uh, the, the whole kind of internet safety and responsible use agenda. We've got better in this. Still, many, many internet safety and responsible use agendas are about basic stranger danger of young people coming into contact with people, but rarely do you see good internet safety programs that are actually talking about contact over games and what that means as well.
0: No, thank you. I think that was very clarifying, and I think you touched upon very important topics. so what I get from that is that all of these elements are actually really interesting. We just must, as educators, must do it and plan them in a meaningful way, in a pedagogically sound way, so not do it for the sake of doing it, just do it with some head. And it's very nice that at the end you, you also raise awareness towards the You know, the dangers in a way I wouldn't want to call it dangers, but the risk, let's say, um, of interacting with these technologies. And so you touch upon a few benefits of these elements for learning. And so do you have anything else to add in that? So what are the main benefits of uh, for kids, for example, to learn game design or for um, teachers to introduce gamification into their
2: lessons? Well, I think whenever I think about what makes a good lesson, it needs to be meaningful. uh, It needs to be actively engaging. It needs to be socially interactive for the children and young people. I'm a big believer that learning should be iterative in nature. I come very much from constructivist foundations around that. And I also think it needs to be sort of joyful in nature as well. So th- those, I think, are five good principles you know, of a, of a good lesson. So if I think about you know, games design or the use of computer games in the classroom, is it actively engaging? Well, just through its very nature, if you watch children and young people play video games or computer games, they're, they're actively engaged. I think that sometimes people that don't understand computer games think that children are quite passive when they're playing but they're not you've only got to look at the emotion on a child's face and the interaction and the concentration and the thinking that comes through it to show that actually their brain is incredibly actively engaged when they're doing things computer games are incredibly culturally relevant to children at the moment by using popular titles you know or the concept of computer games in in the classroom we're coming at this from the domain of the child Um, and if we're able to take that from the domain of the child and we're able to combine that with good learning and teaching then again we get these really interesting spaces and it's important that we pick computer games that have got this kind of like this joyful reward at the end of it
0: right i like a lot how you point out the difference between fun and joy because i never stopped to think about that but it, it actually makes a lot of sense
2: coming back to the coding question that you posed earlier is that coding is hard just like running a marathon is is hard yet when you actually finish your game at the end of it and it's working and you get some good feedback from that you get this kind of feeling of of, of joy that comes from that feeling of reward once you get to the end of the marathon it's not being fun but you but you but you know but you feel joyful because you've got to the end and and i think if we can create experiences like that in the classroom then 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 that actually becomes a really really good measure for for what for what good learning and teaching looks like
1: uh, thanks, Oli. So it's really, we've seen it's really important uh, th- uh, what, uh, that games can uh, uh, be used to develop uh, different skills with our students. Uh, skills that you mentioned, socio-emotional, collaborative skills and uh, many other uh, skills that are ne- needed for their future lives. Uh, so what would you say, what importance do games have nowadays for kids?
2: I mean, games infiltrate really every single part of society. And again, I think it's worth just unpicking that a little bit, because we could say that games is a subset of play. If we think about play and we think about the importance of play in our lives from very, very young children into adult life and into the workspace, then then having these kind of playful learning environments, I think, is incredibly important. In most early years and early primary establishments, the curriculum will be play-based in nature. And if we take that to a different extreme, to some of the world's most successful businesses, and again, I think this is useful for EU Code Week, um, because these tend to be technology companies that, that, that are economically successful, is that that those businesses and the business environments they set up are also highly playful in nature. You know, Microsoft's got a treehouse that people can that people can meet in. If you go into the Google offices in Copenhagen, you've got the words "play" that's up on on the on the walls. These are playful environments that people interact in. It's a shame, I think, sometimes that as young people progress through school. That becomes a part in upper primary and in secondary school where actually it's very very unplayful at all yeah actually we want young people to be playful to actually go on and to develop these skills you know into some of the most successful economic businesses you know around that so there's a the bit around cultural relevance and play other reasons why i think that games are really important to young people is because young people um they engage with and they interact with characters that are familiar to them you know as well um and Again, this is not dissimilar to very, very young children, you know, becoming connected to a teddy bear, you know, or a soft toy. It's like it's basic, basic attachment theory, you know, whereas actually if young people are interacting with a character on a computer game and specifically learning games, numeracy games are good at this. Then young people actually start to build up a relationship with that virtual character, you know, to compete and to develop their mathematics. You know, it's the same. It's the same principles, you know, in, in terms of sort of learning science.
1: Playful learning is indeed an important part of teaching and learning and uh, I would say that uh, play should never stop. We are diving now into practice and we will be talking about your teaching activities.
0: So, um, Oli, what kind of games can children develop? Uh, do you work in game development? Have you worked in game developing with kids?
2: I suppose if we if we just focus on games design for like for like for a moment, I think that like any learning activity, it needs to have a solid progression framework behind it. A very very quick example of that. So quite often, I think, when people go, what about games design? People go, well, Minecraft. Now, Minecraft is a good sandbox game, and it's and it's an interesting kind of games design tool, trying to make that work. But it doesn't necessarily help children progress from the age of three to the age of 18, ar- around that. It probably fits somewhere within that framework around that. So if we're trying to design you know, good games design activities like within schools, we need to make sure that the, that the tools progress with the learners. Minecraft would certainly have a place in there, but we we shouldn't just limit ourselves to to one tool in particular because again we want to give children agency and we want to make sure that they've got choice some examples might be that we start young children off maybe using something like scratch junior and then perhaps they might progress onto scratch these kind of open-ended games design coding environments then you've probably got Minecraft in there somewhere that would would fit in after that. And then you start to get into more specialised games design tools, um, such as um, RPG Maker, so a a role-playing game maker. Again, it's, you know, where you can develop games based around kind of stories and sort of make make this work. Um, You know, or again, you can sort of take it further again for things like the Unreal Development Kit, you know, where you can actually start to use quite heavy games design tools, which, again, are all all sort of free to use around that as long as you're not going to sell the games at the end of it for children to sort of design design games and make that and make that work.
1: Many teachers do not use games in the classroom, so we also need to change their mindset. What would your advice be, for example, how they could start? Could they start with games specifically made for education that you mentioned, or a commercial off-the-shelf game?
2: <clears throat> I would always try to advocate for you know some of the commercial off-the-shelf games around that, because what I've seen through my experience is that this can just have a transformational impact on practice and in terms of the way that, that people teach. Whereas a learning game might help the, the child to progress but it doesn't always help the practice because what happens of course is the teachers just give the game to the child and the game does all of the work if we're taking you know a commercial off-the-shelf game as a context around that we're actually it encourages the teacher to sort of think slightly out of their comfort zone to develop activities around that this is all based on learning theory which was popularized by james paul gee like often called the godfather of games in schools and his theory is around semi-dynamic domains you know where you've got the domain of the child and the domain of the teacher and where they meet it provides a really really interesting space for learning.
0: I think many of our listeners already have some experience for example with coding and with some tools so what are some tools or activities that you can recommend to our listeners or for instance um, what are some coding languages that you would recommend to get started with game design?
2: Again, um, it does depend a little bit on the age and stage of the children. I mean, I do think that Scratch, you know, and and Scratch Junior just give the um, just give the most fantastic introductions into both computer games design. I mean, I feel very lucky to know Mitch Resnick kind of personally. We've done a lot of work together in the past. He talks very very passionately about projects peers passion and play which is how you know how which is how scratch has developed but the key part to all of this whether it's using scratch junior or scratch or the rpg game maker that I that I mentioned earlier or the unreal development kit is not to work with a class of 20 or 30 kids and for them all to be making exactly the same game because that's not what we want you know it's very interesting you know for example to go onto the the scratch studio and to look at some of the last projects that have just been uploaded because occasionally you go on there and suddenly you've got another 20 projects that are all about making a robot moving from the left-hand side of the screen to the right-hand side, the right-hand side of the screen. Now, to develop those meta skills that you were talking about around creativity, you know, and, uh, you know, social and emotional intelligence and doing these things, get, getting kids to follow instructions to be able to do, to, to do this is not the way to do that. So, I'm not for a moment kind of saying that you can't provide the building blocks and put that together, but we need to also you know combine that with the pedagogy of games design teaching to let children explore their own characters, their own context to sort of try and do their own things well and one of the wonderful things I guess around things like The UDK, that advanced games design software that I was talking about, or indeed Scratch, is that you can bring your own things into the game. You know, so if you don't want to use a sprite, you can draw your own sprite and you can bring that in. Or if you don't like the backgrounds, you can take a photograph of your own backgrounds and bring that in. So suddenly the game becomes about your local area or about an issue that you've got there. And for me, there's something very, very powerful about that you know, compared to perhaps a more traditional sandbox game where you can only bring this, this and this in around that and you can only put it in certain orders. And yes, there are thousands of combinations of that. And yes, it's highly motivating. But is it really developing those other creativity skills that you get from photography, the storytelling, the animation, all the other bits that come in there as well?
1: Oli, can you tell us what other projects have you been working on when it comes to game design and gamification?
2: We've done a lot of work around commercial off-the-shelf games in the past, a lot of work around kind of games design. Things that might be interested to, to the people that, that are listening here is is how you then start to take that like a little bit further and to expand into other areas of technology which are really about making and digital making and digital storytelling, you know, because that's ultimately what games design is, isn't it? Like it's about telling a story but you play out the story as part of it, you know, and games design is about kind of making things. So Done a lot of work around robotics, um sort of most 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 recently, in particular early, early, early years robotics, and a lot of work around um, you know, what we would sort of call tinkering, but some people kind of call make-it-king around sort of local materials, you know, in particular. A lot of work around how to introduce basic coding concepts without a computer around that sort of offline coding activities, again, as kind of building blocks to different activities, and also about how you might use unconventional tools to either make or tell stories. Some examples of that. You know, might be like using a 3D camera to to capture movies and then putting that into a VR headset and then, you know, using that in YouTube with a hotspot. So it it links the different bits of video together as you go along. So like a kind of sort of mystery game, but using, um, using different visual representation. And again, you could do similar things with that using PowerPoint and other activities to help children kind of navigate through the things. These become really, really good storytelling tools. And then you can use those storytelling tools, you know, once you develop the storytelling ability, then you can use that. Um, you know, to, to improve the game design uh, work as well. These
1: are really very, very inspiring ideas. Thanks for sharing these ideas with our listeners. We will stay a bit longer on the practical side. Let us now have a look at some teaching tips and recommendations. what about some other fields where game design and gamification can be beneficial in the future maybe uh, games for social good or similar initiatives
2: yeah so so i think there's um there's a few things there so i think and we've touched on this maybe sort of slightly already so thinking about how we can use games and games design as a context to develop other core skills Um, And that can definitely include literacy and numeracy. Like I can't, I can't emphasize enough the kind of the storytelling part of games and the motivation, which is provided from games. And everything that I know about literacy is that if you want to encourage children to write you need to encourage them to write about things that they're interested in. And that's how you can then improve things like spelling and grammar and all of the other bits that go with that as well. I've also mentioned around um that that how games can be very, very useful in terms of spilling out data. And there's something very, very interesting then about children collecting data that they've created and then repurposing that for kind of mass and numeracy lessons. You're absolutely right around the whole idea of games and, and apps, you know, and, and apps for good. So, how do you identify a real life problem? And then work towards a solution, whether it's a physical solution or a digital solution or a blended solution to sort of try and you know to sort of try and figure that out and um there are bits of kind of games mechanics that can come in there. I mean, I'll give you a very, very quick example of that if you think about exercise in Scotland we have a a challenge using your mobile phone now or your fitbit or your or your your smartwatch it's gamified right so it tells me how many steps it's done and if i've not done my ten thousand steps a day you know it will tell me that i've not done that and that motivates me to go out and do a little bit more so in terms of apps development for some of these problems there are games design tools that come into this you know as well if i'm if i'm driving my car you know i've got a bar on it which tells me whether i'm driving it the most economical way now that's a games design mechanism it's good for the environment Right. But it's also give me this kind of visual feedback that I need, which is a game design tool you know, to help me sort of drive the car you know, efficiently. Um, the thing that, that I just want to emphasize again is just the power of games to bring children together from from different backgrounds, different countries, different religious belief systems around around a, a common core or an activity to get children talking to each other.
0: Indeed, and I think this is why our community is so passionate about Scratch, because it has this power of equalizing and it's open, it's translated into so many languages. So it has this power of reaching out to many people and it's actually really affordable because in most cases, it's web-based. But I'm very curious because you mentioned apps and so something that we, our community also uses a lot is the MIT App Inventor. Do you have any experience with this tool? Do you think it's useful for game design or is there any other app development that you would recommend to our listeners?
2: Yeah, I've done lots of projects using App Inventor around that. I think like like anything with App Inventor, it's the framework that goes around it. Um, we have a very, very successful NGO in the UK, which is called Apps for Good. Um, I don't know how popular it is across the, the rest of Europe, but what it does, and, and it's free. People can go on there and sort of download lesson plans and things like that, but it's doing what I was describing earlier. So it, it provides a framework for children to go out and identify a problem. And then they does then they think about you know the functionality of an app and how it might solve that problem, and then it provides a suite of tools, including MIT app Inventor, where they can go away and actually kind of build and prototype their app. You know and for children, and young people that haven't got the skills to do that is that there are ways of doing that without you know using app inventor itself, like sort of working through sort of storyboarding and other parts because you know app inventor is it's quite complex you know to use in terms of, sort of making that work. The other thing that, that we've sort of seen sort of quite successfully as well is actually developing the app in Scratch. So it's not a proper app, you know, but but actually sort of building the, te- the phone template in app, you know, with the functionality of the buttons and how all that works. And then moving the blocks around, you know, to make that work as well. And again, that provides, you know, a useful kind of sort of scaffolding and building blocks to sort of make that work.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a very creative solution. Yeah. <laughs> I like that idea. How can we encourage
1: teachers to use games in the classroom, be it uh, as uh, uh, using computer games or learning games or introducing their students to game design or teaching about games? So what are your tips based on your experience, how we can encourage teachers to use games more?
2: there's three things here so we need to become clearer in our classrooms and i think the eu code week has got a great role to play here you know in terms of what some we need to be clearer a little bit about what do we mean by games um now at the start of this conversation i kind of proposed those sort of five categories around there now i'm not saying that every single teacher is, is going to buy into five of these things so not everybody's going to buy into commercial off-the-shelf games Not everybody's going to buy into learning games you know or games design but there's a probability that most people might buy into one of those things, right, Right, if we think about it. And, of course, if they buy into one, then they might buy into some other ones. So being really, really clear about the different categories I think is important. The second part is, of course, once you've got people to buy in and we've got this common language about what we mean, is people need good examples and they need good exemplification. And those good examples and good exemplification have to be linked into children that are giving good feedback about, about that. You know, so rather than these written case studies that we see sometimes, which are sort of bland, it needs to be full of children who are obviously getting a huge amount of, out, out of this, regardless of whichever country they're coming in, by seeing it in their faces, how motivated they are, talking passionately, um, you know, about it. And there also needs to be an argument in there is that we're doing this not because it's a computer game, but we're doing this because it's going to make a learning benefit, you know, to the child and young people. We're doing this because we want to improve literacy or numeracy or to interdisciplinary learning or creativity and this is the reason that, that we're doing it as well and then the, the third thing that i think that we need and again this is maybe an interesting challenge for eu code week or other organizations to take on is, is how do we then empower people to take these examples and to turn those around for their own individual local context What we don't want is we don't want the same projects going on in different schools, or different parts of Europe. We want to actually make sure that actually anything that we've got can be taken and it can be adapted for local need, local circumstance. And of course, the individual need to the children that we've got in the class, you know, as well. So for me, it's around how do we define it? How do we exemplify it? And then how do we empower people to actually create these examples themselves?
0: Right. I think that's uh, very clear. And and what I get from that as well is that the games need to be meaningful, not just for students, but as well for the teachers. So they also need to believe in what they teach and f- why they teach and why they use that method. So I think this is a very interesting takeaway.
2: Yeah. And and, and I think, you know, so just we've, we've talked about it a couple of times here, but it's just an obvious one that that's where... That example of the Olympic Games is a good is a good one again is a good one again. It's it's right because again, you won't find many primary school teachers that don't think that teaching the, about the Olympic Games is not an interesting thing. Most people can buy into that idea, and then there'll be many people that kind of say, "Well, like I think it's important, but the kids just aren't interested in it." Well, so how do we then flip that on its head and turn that into the computer game the kids are interested in it, and we're combining that with a thing that you think is important? And that's where we've got that notion then, of those semi-domadic domains you know, and bring back the whole interdisciplinary learning activities.
1: Games are really, really powerful tools. There is so much power in using them, especially when it comes to teaching difficult concepts that uh, students need to master. And uh, they will do it uh, much more easily than uh, just by ordinary teaching uh, pedagogies. And we've seen how powerful they are to enhance learning, to help students achieve learning outcomes and also to develop their skills needed for their future.
0: And so this would be a bit the end of our questions, but Oli, is there anything you would like to add, anything that you would like to say to our listeners before we close this episode?
2: We've covered a sort of lot of topics there in in that sort of short space of time. One thing that you just said there, which which, which we've not touched on, is that uh, another type of game, of course, is is a simulation. You know, one of the the most famous education games, I think, although it wasn't built for education, is a, is a game called SimCity. You know, where kids were designing and they were building their own kind of towns and 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 things like this. Now, know, as a, as a young person, you're not actually going to physically go out and build a town and make all those kind of mistakes, but you can do this through. You know sim- simulations and things and there are there are other you know simulation games that are incredibly popular like like farm simulator or driving simulators or or, or other or other bits like this as well so again it, it's just it's just finding the right thing to use it at the right time a, a former colleague of mine derek robertson um who ran a, a very very large uh games project in in scotland a number of years ago now used to use the phrase good teachers use good tools um, and there's something incredibly simple, but very, very perfect in, the, in, the, in that statement is that sometimes it's using digital technology, and it might be this game or this game or this game. Sometimes it's taking kids outside. Sometimes it's using crayons and paint. Sometimes it's linking it to, to to employability. But the but the point with it is, is it it shouldn't be that we don't do any of those things if it's appropriate. You know, why not do it? But let's not force it.
0: Indeed, and I think the powerful thing in that is that what a good tool is depends a bit on the teacher, it's uh, their context, their students, and so on. And so I think what, what that means as well is that we must plan ahead and plan meaningfully. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And I think that's a very good closing statement.
1: We have already reached the end for today. I'm sure... Uh, You had a lot of fun and you have learned a lot of new things. And in case you now want to get started with coding and programming and introducing game design into your classroom, go check codeweek.eu website. There you can find some excellent tutorials on how to get started. That's it from our side.
0: Thanks a lot for joining us today, Oli, and for uh, enlightening our listeners with these very interesting new thoughts and ideas. Thank, Thank you for having me. So see you next time for a new episode of our Code Week podcast when we take a deep dive into the exciting world of programming.